0: On today's episode of Not Your Average Boston Sports Podcast, we'll be talking about the Bruins and their upcoming second-round series against the New York Islanders. Also, give you some last kind of thoughts on the uh, first-round series against the against the Capitals. I'll also get you some other topics from around the NHL and around the playoffs. Uh, we'll take a look at some other series and um, previews as some series are set. Uh, But we'll also recap some series that are still going on. There is a Game 7 tonight, so we'll let you know about that. We will get to uh, the NBA, talk about the Celtics and their uh, tough start to the postseason and just kind of what to expect uh, for the next two games as the Celtics will be back at the Garden with uh, full capacity on Sunday, I believe. They will be playing tonight, so we'll kind of preview that game. Also, we'll get to some other thoughts from around the NBA playoffs, get to some uh, comments that Kyrie Irving made um, after game two, so we'll get to that um, as well. We'll also get to some other league notes from around the NBA. We'll also get to the Red Sox and take a look at the ever-closening uh, American League East. As I think the Red Sox might actually be a half game or game out of first place, uh, but we will talk about that. We'll talk about some players for the Red Sox that are continuing to uh, play really well in the first couple months of the season. We'll also take a look at some notes from around Major League Baseball, take a look at some standings. Then we will get to the NFL, talk about the Patriots and their OTAs that got underway this week. I'll also address some of the rumors around Julio Jones. Uh, We'll get to Adam Vinatieri's retirement, and then we will get to some other uh, notes from around the NFL. And then to close out today's episode, we'll talk about the Revolution, give an update as they are currently in first place in the Eastern Conference, and then we'll get to a little WNBA to close it out. Let's go. What's going on, everyone? Welcome to the program. It is Not Your Average Boston Sports Podcast. I'm your host, Garrett Hayden. And today, there's a lot to get to. We got uh, playoffs in full swing in both the NBA and the NHL. Um, you know, off season for the Patriots is kind of getting underway a little bit. Um, it's really just... The best time of year, you know, and, and Stanley Cup playoffs, NBA playoffs, it's um, a lot of fun. You know, every night there's there's playoff action, so it's really, um, it just is, is awesome. You know, it really is the, truly one of the best times of the year. So I uh, figure we'll just get right into it. We will um, talk about uh, mostly Bruins first, then we'll get to some Celtics, then some other stuff. Uh, but as always, you can follow the podcast... On Twitter, Uh, you can follow at NotBoston, you can follow on Facebook, and you can also listen to the podcast on Spotify and on Apple Podcasts. So, without further ado, let's get into it. Uh, You know, Bruins able to complete the series win against Washington as we, um, you know, last spoke with you guys late last week before the Bruins were going to play game four, and the Bruins just were great in games four and five, close out the series in five games. That was not something that I expected, to be perfectly honest. You know, I really thought that Washington was going to give the Bruins more problems than they did. And, you know, credit to the Bruins because they really did a great job of, of absorbing Washington's physicality and kind of using it against them, you know, and and I think to a certain extent that the Bruins were able to use their quick skating and make things difficult. And uh, Washington, very clearly, you know, was not themselves. You know, you look at Ovechkin, you look at some of the big guns, clearly were not themselves. You know, you look at Backstrom, he had one assist in the series. Uh, Clearly was not himself. You know, Mantha had two assists. I don't think that had anything to do with injury. I think the Bruins just did a really good job. Um, but you just could tell that, especially later in the series, especially with Ovechkin in the power play, he's not moving. You know, and I think that definitely there were some injury issues going on with some guys. And while that's not an excuse for Washington, I think the Bruins did, in a way, get wa- catch Washington at the at the best time. You know, that they weren't fully healthy, and uh, the Bruins just did a great job of just playing their game and not getting caught into, you know, any extra penalties or things like that. The Bruins really neutralized Tom Wilson. He really wasn't much of a factor in this series. You know, had the opening goal in game one, was not really heard from after that. You know, had an assist, had a couple of, you know, dirty plays that, you know, obviously are going to happen, but, you know, there really wasn't any, you know, stuff that really got, you know, extra. And so I think the Bruins really did a great job with that. Um, the power play really started to kick up um, towards the end of the series, which is a great sign. Um, and we'll talk about their power play in the next series. But um, the Bruins just were awesome. You know, it was great to see the top line, you know, really figuring things out in the last couple of games. Great to see Taylor Hall, you know, having playing such an instrumental part um, in that series. Uh, Craig Smith was great You know, had the overtime win. Winning goal in game three and Tuka Rask. Tuka was, was unbelievable. You know, after that game one, he was almost unstoppable. Um, so he was great. You know, he was really, really outstanding in this series um, and really outplayed the opposition goaltending, um, whoever it was. So um, I think just the last note on that series, you know, it impossible for us not to talk about Chara um, and, you know, the post-game handshake line in game five. Um, and a lot of guys had a lot of great things to say about him, and rightfully so. You know, he was such a great teammate to so many different guys on this team, and um, great to see him and Bergeron, you know, have a great embrace um, after the game, so that was great to see. So um, I think that Chara, in terms of his play on the ice, I think that, you know, if you look at some advanced stats from that series, Chara actually played pretty well. Um, especially against the Bruins' bottom six. You know, Washington was not really matching him up against the Bruins' top lines. um, And, you know, we're instead matching him up against the third, fourth line. And, you know, if you look at, he was on the ice for more scoring chances, more shots, things like that. So, I mean, that at least tells you that he's at least effective still, you know? And I think we always knew that, you know? But it just was a matter of the Bruins thinking that, okay, I think that, we might be all right with the young defensemen, and they kind of were right, you know. I think that both things can be true. I think that Chara can still be a useful, effective defenseman, um, but I think that the Bruins made the right call in moving forward because I think that, you know, not only did it give opportunities for ice time for guys like Lozon and Zaboral, I know neither of those guys really played much in this First round series, Lozon broke his hand in Game Two, I believe, um, and Zaboral obviously is kind of just a depth guy. But I think that you know letting Chara go was a lot more about Charlie McAvoy and you know letting him really come into his own as that star defenseman that can do it all. And he did it all in this series against Washington. Had five assists. Honestly, was probably the best player in this series on either side. So. You know I think that it has more to do with with Charlie and his ability to really kind of take that number one defenseman role, and obviously he was ready for it. I mean he was unbelievable in that series against against Washington, so I think that that just was the last little note I wanted to share on that series that you know I know that there was a lot of conversation during the season about you know people not thinking that the Bruins were going to be okay well lo and behold they were um. You know, and I think that it's legit to also say that, you know, yeah, Char can still, you know, play, you know, could the Bruins have brought him back? Yeah, probably. They chose not to. It didn't really, I I don't really think it's cost them. Um, So I think that, you know, just looking back on that series, what the Bruins are able to do from um, like a points perspective, uh, Pasternak actually... Ironically, led the series in points, had six points, had that beautiful goal in Game 5. Um, and, you know, I know it's shocking to some people, but uh, Pasternak actually was fine in this first-round series. I really don't understand, and, you know, I said this last week, I didn't really understand where all the anger towards him was coming from, that people thought, like, he wasn't playing well. And it's like, I mean, I don't, like, you don't need to score goals to be an effective player Um, and he was good. He was really solid in the series, really kind of came on. And it's not to say that he didn't start slow in the series, which he probably did, but, you know, he also put 29 shots on goal, which by far was the leader um, in the series. Bergeron was the second closest with 21, so that tells you that Pasternak was putting a lot of rubber on the net. So, um, you know, good to see the top line performing pretty well. Um, obviously, mentioned McAvoy, Taylor Hall had a couple goals. Um, and Jacob Rusk, you know, was pretty solid in the beginning of the series. Kind of leveled off a little bit toward the end of the series. But um, as I'll get to when I talk about Bruins Islanders, I'll tell you that he's actually going to be really a really key player um, in this series. Uh, Charlie Coyle with a couple points. Craig Smith with a couple points. Nick Ritchie. Um, and then you had Grizzlick with a point, a goal, and two assists. Uh, Riley had two assists. So. You know, and, and Clifton, you know, into the lineup, played four games, was a plus three um, and, you know, averaged almost 19 minutes on the ice. So I think that looking at what the Bruins are going to try to do against the Islanders, you know, I think that it's really important for the Bruins to make the most of their scoring chances because this is going to be a series against the Islanders that scoring chances are going to be at a premium. You know, the Islanders are one of the best defensive teams in the league. I know that people say that they're boring, um, but they're this is not an easy team to play against. You know, when you're playing that type of hockey and you play really structured and really solid defense, you know, that's what Barry Trotts is kind of... That's what his hallmark is. You know, you have to bury the scoring chances that you get because chances are you're not going to get as many chances as you did against Washington. You know, Washington while they're big and physical, especially in the forward group, that defense made a lot of mistakes, especially in their own zone. They turned the puck over a lot in that series. And not to say that the Islanders won't, but they certainly are not going to turn it over at the rate that the Capitals did. So the Bruins really are going to have to make things simple offensively. And I know that that sounds easier than done, but I think that, the Islanders, with the way that the, their defense is so physical, the way that they can move so well, without they can move so well, um, I think that it's going to create a, a unique challenge um, for the Bruins. And so, I think scoring chances will be at a premium. And so, I think that that being said, taking advantage of your power plays is really important in this series. Um, you know, the Islanders are a team that I don't really, I don't really know whether they took a lot of penalties or didn't take a lot this season. Um, But either way, the Bruins are going to have to perform on the power play um, if they're going to win this series. Uh, That's one of the things that could sway the series. If the Bruins go back to struggling on the power play, they could lose this series. Um, I think that the Islanders and the Bruins are are two evenly matched teams. They kind of have their strength from the goaltender out, if that makes sense, that both teams... Have really solid, real, have gotten really solid goaltending this season and in the playoffs. They have two defensive groups that are really, really good, and then you have forward groups who, you know, I think the Islanders are more of an opportunistic team um, than the Bruins. I think the Bruins have the better talent in the forward group, but the Bruins have to be really careful. Um, and I think also, you know, you look at some of the Islanders players that had good first rounds. You know, Pagiot and Bovillier each had seven points. Pagiot was a Bruins killer this season, as was Kyle Palmieri when he was on the Devils. Um, he had three goals in the Pittsburgh series and is a guy that's played really well against Boston this season. Um, and then you even take into account Matt Barzal, who actually didn't even score in the first round series, but is always someone that you have to be aware of where he is on the ice at all times. Um, And so I think this is going to be a series that's going to be a lot of low-scoring games. You know, this reminds me a little bit about that Columbus series the Bruins played two years ago when you had a team that was really kind of trying to play a heavy style. Um, I don't think the Islanders are as heavy as that Columbus team or as heavy as the the, um, Capitals team that the Bruins just played, but I think they're sneaky heavy you know, especially when they get with that identity line of Clutterbuck, Sezikis and Matt Martin, you know, I'm very curious to see how Barry Trotz chooses to um, throw that, who he chooses to match that lineup with. Now, I think conventional wisdom would tell you that he's going to match it up against the Bergeron line. Um, And so I think that's why that third line for the Bruins is going to be huge because they think that um, in, in addition to that identity line, that the, um, Islanders can roll out, they can also roll out some pretty good D pairs, you know, Ryan Polak, Ryan Pulak and Adam Pellick are two of the best D pair or one of the best D pairs in the league. And so I would think that they would use that pair to match up against the Bergeron line as well. And so it means that, you know, the third line, I think is going to get opportunities that they will get shifts a lot against Andy Green and Noah Dobson, assuming that that's the D pair, um, And so I think a guy like Jake DeBrusque, I think the Bruins are going to need him to produce a little bit in this series. Now, he performed well in the beginning of the series against against, uh, Washington, had a couple goals in the first two games. So I think for Charlie Coyle and him, it's really important that they make the most of their scoring chances because I think the Bruins, while, you know, the first line, the second line will still do what they do. But I think if the Bruins... For them to do well in this series, and honestly, for them to win a cup, they need that third line to produce consistently. So it'll be interesting to see, you know, what they can do in this series. Um, I'd still give the Bru- Bruins the edge in the goaltending matchup. You know, I know that Sorokin has played unbelievably well in the playoffs. You know, he's 4-0 with a safe percentage almost at, almost at 950. So, you know, he's been really good, um, but Rask, you know, was just excellent. In that Bruins first round series. And I think that, you know, while you know, Washington had a lot of those kind of big guys that could score, you know, I don't really know if the Islanders have enough that can, you know, score a lot of goals, but obviously you saw Beauvilliers a guy that can put the puck in the net. Um, Bailey, Nelson, and Paul Murray also had three goals in this series. So you have plenty of guys that can score. But I think the Bruins have the edge in goaltending. I would say the Bruins probably have a slight edge in the forwards, um, but I think that the Bruins cannot afford to let the Islanders' identity line, you know, be the story of this series. The Bruins really need to be able to manufacture scoring chances and put the puck in the net. Um, You know, could the Bruins turn the tables on the Islanders with their fourth line? You know, it remains to be seen. You know, I think that Chris Wagner might actually do better in this series than he did against Washington. Um, because, yes, the Islanders are quick and they can get you in transition, but at the same time, they're playing Pittsburgh. And Pittsburgh, to me, is one of the worst teams in the league at defending in transition. And so I think that, you know, Wagner probably won't have an issue, you know, catching up with, you know, Lazar and Corrali, which kind of ended up being a little bit of an issue in the Washington series. But because the Bruins won the series in five games, you really didn't notice that he was struggling out there, but I really wouldn't be surprised if, you know, this ends up being a series where Chris Wagner struggles and they have to put Kuhlman in. But I think I wouldn't be surprised if that fourth line for the Bruins makes a little bit of an impact too. Um, but that bottom six, I think is really going to make a difference in this series and maybe they don't need to, you know, maybe the, maybe the top line and the second line, maybe they do their job and put the pucks and put the pucks in the net. But, um, you no, I think that the Islanders and the Bruins maybe are pretty even defensively. Um, and so I think that this will be a good series. It'll be a good test. But the Bruins should win the series. You know, they're the higher seed. I know that the Islanders have had some success against the Bruins this season, uh, five wins against the Bees this season. But, you know, majority of these matchups came before the trade deadline and the Bruins actually Uh, won all three games against the Islanders post deadline. So, you know, I think that you look at the regular season matchup for reference, but I don't think you look at it as any sort of like, Oh, this is not a team you want to play. Um, But I think what's interesting for the Islanders is yes. Sorokin was unbelievable in that Pittsburgh series, you know, and kind of took the job from Orlamov. It's interesting because Sorokin has only played 80 minutes against the Bruins this season You know, hasn't even played two full games. 80 minutes is about a game, a game and a third, you know, if we're thinking out loud. Yeah, it's about a game and a third. Varlamov was unbelievable against the Bruins. I think he made five or six starts this season and was was really good, you know, like Braden Holtby against the Bruins good. So um, I'm fascinated to see if, you know, Trotz continues to go with the hot hand with Sorokin you know, why wouldn't he? But I also think it's interesting that you have another goalie that has done pretty well against the Bruins this season. So uh, that will be interesting. You know, I think for my prediction of series, Bruins in six, you know, I think this could go to five. You know, if the Bruins are able to get lucky enough with some overtime games, which they did in the first round. You know, I know that some people are like, oh, Bruins in five, Bruins in five, it's always going to be five. Um, And credit to you guys. You know, you saw that, you got it. But you know, Bruins are able to get lucky and win a couple overtime games, and obviously you gotta be lucky in the playoffs. Not saying that not saying that, you know not saying the other way, but I think that possibility this goes five, you know, if the Bruins can steal a game or two in New York. Um I fully expect that the Islanders are gonna win one of the first two games. I know that, you know, the whole goal of playing at home is winning your home games, but you know, it's 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 never it's From a home team's perspective, it's a lot harder, I think, to win those first two games. Um, so look for the Garden to be absolutely rocking tomorrow. It's going to be absolutely crazy with, you know, the, the restrictions lifted and the Bruins have, you know, a legit full house. Um, but I like the Bruins in six. I think that they are the better team and they should win. I think that's really, at the end of the day, that's what it is in the playoffs is, you know, you beat the teams that you should beat and you take care of that. And so I think that the Bruins maybe weren't totally prepared to play the Islanders. Well, I shouldn't say it like that, but you know, I think that you would have expected Pittsburgh to win the series because they were the one seed, but you know, I don't really think that the seedings really mattered very much, you know, because yes, Pittsburgh was the one seed, but they didn't play very well in that series against the Islanders. You know, they won two of the first three of of that series and then lost four straight. You know, and then obviously the Capitals clearly were not. Clearly were not the same team that we're used to seeing. So, um, I like the Bruins in this series. I think it's going to be a good, low scoring series. I think it's going to be a good test uh, for certain players on the Bruins roster. Um, but I think that at the end of the day, the better team wins, and I think that that's what's going to happen. But Bruins have to be very, very careful. Um, of a hot goaltender, you know, cause that's the one thing that can really, you know, doom you this time of year is if a hot goalie stays hot and, you know, really frustrates you. So again, like the Bruins in six, you know, I think that it's going to be kind of a tough series, a series that probably <laughs> is, yeah, it's just, it's going to be difficult. You know, it's not going to be easy. You know, I think that, People might think it's going to be easy because the Islanders were the four seed. But, you know, trust me, the Islanders are a good team. They might be boring, but they're going to test the Bruins um, in the second round. But I'm looking forward to it. Um, So looking at the rest of the NHL, there's been, you know, plenty of conversation about um, the officiating, which, you know, obviously is a conversation this time of year. You know, some people think, oh, my God, we're living in you know, bizarre world where the same thing happens every time of year, you know, same thing happens that we're talking about Connor McDavid and the supporting cast not being good enough, you know, and we're talking about officiating and um, yeah, officiating is bad. You know, I'm not going to sit here and pretend that it's not um, because it's like either you have, you know, the classic, you know, not going to call anything and we're going to let the guys play you know, and play through obvious slashings and interference and hit from behind boarding type stuff, um, you know, or you're just going to call everything and it becomes like a choppy game. And so I just think that it's it's been bad, you know, it's been bad. You watch any moments of any games and I'll be honest with you, I'm not the best with certain rules about, okay, looking at that, okay, that's a slash or that's a hook, things like that you know I know that sounds crazy because I've been watching hockey most of my life Um, and I'll be honest when I'm watching games I don't really pay attention to or well I shouldn't say it like that but I feel like I have a hard time pointing out what's a penalty and what's not Um, but it's bad you know it's getting to a point where you know teams are, are you know losing games because of bad calls and things like that but you know, it's it's a part of the game, unfortunately, and I think that, you know, it's 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 hard because I think that there are just some calls that just are, just are really bad, and I think that, like, I, I don't want to say this in a... Well, I feel like it's impossible to skirt around it, but I honestly think that the best way to try to fix this is to dole out susp- suspensions. You know, that if referees are you know, not making proper calls or just are arbitrarily making calls, which I really think that's what it is. You know, if you watch any game, you know, you can get different rulings on different plays that look the exact same. Um, and so that's honestly just what I think is, I think referees should start being spoken to um, and start being fined or suspended because it's completely out of hand. Um And I think like, I don't want to make this sound like I'm someone who's like complaining about officiating because obviously the Bruins have been on, you know, both ends of officiating, whether it's, you know, bad calls against them or it's bad calls for them. You know, the Bruins aren't exempt in this. I know that, yes, you look back that the Bruins have been screwed by some officiating. If you want to go back to 2019, talk about Noel Achari, you know, that's fair. Um, But then again, you have guys like Pat Maroon that are cross-checking guys in the face and getting fined $3,000. And it's just like we're allowing guys to get away with certain things, but then we're suspending guys for the same thing. You know, if you saw whatever game Sam Bennett got suspended for Florida, you know, he bored someone, but the same exact play had happened earlier in the game where someone had gotten boarded um, on Florida and there was no call. And it's just like, you know, either either be consistent or just like don't officiate game. Like I don't, I don't, I don't know really how else to solve the issue, other than just you know what if you're gonna suspend and fine players for doing things that you know are kind of against the code the 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 rule book. Well then you know what we need to start doling out you know punishments for officials. I really think that's what we need to do, um, because otherwise this is gonna keep going and. You know, yeah, you're going to have teams that lose games, lose series because, you know, the officiating just is so bad. And I don't want to continue to harp on it because it is part of the game. You know, I know that, you know, players in the game, they know that it's a part of it. They know that, you know, the officials are not going to be right about everything, that they are going to miss some calls, you know, and things like that. So it's just interesting. You know, everyone has their own thoughts. But, yeah, I mean, it's like we're doing this the same as we do it every year, every, every year this comes around. So um, I think that that's going to be interesting, just something to watch the rest of the way, Um, you know, and then Connor McDavid and the Oilers getting just shell-shocked by the Winnipeg Jets, the Jets winning, I think they won three games in overtime um, in that series, which tells you that yes, this was a sweep, but it's not an ordinary sweep. You know, the game four went to triple overtime you know, you had game one of the series that was one nothing in overtime. So I think in talking about McDavid and the Oilers, you know, I think that's really what it comes down to. Supporting cast needs to be better. You know, that team, Edmonton, obviously is really top-heavy with Dreisaitl and McDavid, you know, two of the, if not the two best players in the league, arguably. Um, but you just, you you need more with that team. I really think that's what it is. You know, you don't really... I don't really think they have it figured out goaltending-wise. You know, Mike Smith is Mike Smith, but, you know, I just think that that team, as long as he's there, that team will only go as far as he can take them. You know, and it's not to say that he was bad in the first round. You know, I don't think that he was terrible per se, Um, but that's just what I think. I think that they just need better supporting cast. I'm not ready to say, oh, Connor McDavid needs to play more of a two-way game. You know, I'm not going to say that. I'm not going to sit here and do that because I think that that's not necessarily the problem. I also don't think he's the problem either. You know, you look at a guy who's had one of the best regular seasons in NHL history and there are people kind of gloating over it in a weird way that like, oh, see, he's overrated. Like, he's not as good as, you know, Lemieux and Gretzky. And it's like, all right, the kid's 24, 25 years old and we're doing this. Like, that just seems strange to me. It just seems... A very strange hill to die on that you're going to be like, oh, McDavid's, you know, overrated and this and that. It's a really strange thing to say. But, you know, I really think that that's just what it is. is I think the supporting cast needs to be better. You know, I didn't look at the exact point totals in this series, but, you know, I don't think he was terrible. But on the other hand, you know, and I talked about this on Twitter with uh, Chris Feldman the other day, I think that a lot of attention was going towards McDavid and the Oilers. And so I don't disagree with that because McDavid is arguably the biggest star in the league right now. Um, And obviously that garners some attention. Um, But I also think that, you know, you have the Winnipeg Jets that swept them. They held McDavid scoreless for two games. You know, I honestly thought that they played pretty well in this series. You know, they get a series sweep after they had won like two or three of their last 10 games to close out the regular season. They limped to the barn in the playoffs and kind of flipped the switch and kind of played really, really good hockey. And so I just don't want that to get lost on people that watch that series and think, oh, it's just McDavid didn't perform, McDavid this, McDavid that. It's like, let's give credit to the Winnipeg Jets. Um, and, yeah, I just think that it's it's unfortunate that, you know, we lose track of the fact that Winnipeg won the series and was good in the series. You know, Hellebuck was really, really solid. They got timely goal scoring. Um, And so I think that, yeah, you want to clown them and be like, oh, like they're going to get destroyed by the Maple Leafs. Well, you know, don't speak too soon. The Maple Leafs still have to win one more game in the series to get through. So, you know, I wouldn't go there. I wouldn't start doing that yet. Um, So taking a look at some other series, um, I think going through and kind of recapping some of the series that have happened, Um, Obviously, out west, Colorado with a sweep over St. Louis. I thought that St. Louis maybe would win a game. Uh, Colorado just smoked them in uh, all four games, really was never close. Um, St. Louis just did not have it this season. Um, I think it's just pretty clear to see. Um, And Colorado just is, I think, the best team in hockey. So, you know, it's not super surprising that the series went Four or five, you know, I thought it would go five. It went four, but it really kind of didn't make a difference. Um, obviously, Winnipeg, the four-game sweep of the Oilers. Uh, the Bruins with the five-game win over the Capitals. Um, and then the Islanders, you know, beating the Penguins. And, you know, really rode that hot goaltending of Sorokin. And I really, That's honestly, don't know what's next for Pittsburgh. You know, it seems like they've had a couple of years where they've had some disappointing playoff exits you know getting swept by the Islanders last year you know losing in the in the qualifying round to Montreal last year now another first round loss so you know it'd be very interesting to see kind of what's next in Pittsburgh um, and then the central you got Carolina six game win over Nashville they won the series last night with a uh, Sebastian Aho's game winning goal in in overtime so I think Carolina was tested in this series about that Nashville Uh, played about the way that I would expect them to, that they stole a couple overtime games, could have easily stole game six. Um, But I know that I picked Nashville, but I thought that, you know, Caroline ended up just being the better team and and they won, so credit to them. Uh, But Nashville made this a really interesting series. And so I think that for them, at least, you know, coming from where they came from at one point in the regular season in sixth place, it um, really shouldn't be too upset with this series loss. I mean, Carolina just has been one of the best teams in the league. Maybe start to finish the most consistent team um, in the league this season. So then you have Tampa Bay beating Florida. Um, and yeah, there's something I actually do want to talk about. And um, I know that at the beginning of this series, we're talking about the, uh, when we talked to Mike, you know, talking about Tampa Bay getting, you know, Kucherov and Stamkos back and the cap, circum- cap circumvention and all that. Um, I will just say that there were some people that I think, um, I don't know. There was something that I saw that, um, someone thought that it just wasn't fair for Florida. And it's like, well, Tampa Bay was the better team, you know, and I don't care about the skirting the rules or cheating the game or whatever you want to say. It's within the rules. So I really don't understand why people are complaining about it, um, And at the end of the day, like, if Kucherov and Stamkos played for them the whole season, you know, this wouldn't be... It's just, like, Tampa Bay is a better team than Florida. Like, I don't really know how else to say that. And, like, even without, you know, Kucherov not playing the entire regular season, like, if he played the entire regular season, you know, it's just, like, it doesn't really make much of a difference, like... Tampa Bay is better than Florida, and I don't really understand why that's so hard for people to grasp. You know, Florida didn't lose the series because they got cheated. They lost the series because they lost the series and Tampa Bay was better. You know, they, Joel Quinville, did not make, you know, right the right decisions with the goaltending. That's kind of why they lost the series. Tampa Bay was able to, you know, take advantage of their power plays. You know, that's why they won the series. I really don't understand why this has to be, oh... Tampa Bay won the series because they cheated. And it's like, if it's within the rules, it's not cheating. So I really don't want to hear it anymore. It's kind of dumb. You know, they won because they're the better team. That's why they won. Um, But I will say second round series, Carolina-Tampa. Yeah, I'm so excited for this series. This is going to be awesome. Um, I think this is one of the matchups that a lot of people wanted to see. Get the defending champs against probably one of the best teams in the league this season. It's going to be fun. Um, I think Tampa Bay wins this series, but I think it's going to be a really, really fun series that I think might go the distance. Um, And if it does go the distance, then, you know, it's a bounce one way or the other. So uh, very interested to see what happens with that series. And then obviously we have the two first round series still going on. Minnesota, Vegas, game seven tonight. Minnesota down three games to one have forced a game seven, and if I'm Vegas, I'm getting a little nervous. Um, Minnesota played a really good game six. Cam Talbot was really solid with the shutout. Wild got three goals in the third, Um, and we've not really heard too much from Kirill Kaprizov um, in this series. So I would expect that um, if Minnesota's going to pull the upset, he's going to have quite a game tonight. Um, And you have Minnesota, who has played well against Vegas uh, this season. You know, not just... In this series, but in the regular season, so I'm very excited to see how that goes. But the Knights have Mark Andre Fleury, and he's been really the one of the stories um, of this like first round um, of the Stanley Cup playoffs. So I think that I think that Vegas wins, but I think Minnesota is going to make this very interesting, and Minnesota could very well win. I really don't think that I really think anything can happen in this type of game, and then Montreal and Toronto. We'll play each other uh, game six. They played game five last night. Montreal won in overtime. A really bad turnover by Alex Galchenyuk led to a 2-on-0 uh, for the Canadians. Nick Suzuki wins it. Um, yeah, and they go back to Montreal for game six. There will be some fans a- allowed in Montreal, so that will be kind of interesting to see. But uh, Toronto really needs to wrap up that series before it gets out of hand. So... Uh, That will be interesting. Um, Just some other notes from around the league. You know, it's um, really unfortunate that we have to keep having these conversations about um, racism in hockey um, and that people can't handle it when there are some people who, you know, express their heritage. Um, I don't get it. I really don't understand why there are certain people who um feel that it's necessary to make racist comments about a certain player um i just think it's completely it's just, it just it just sucks because the game of hockey should be enjoyed by everyone and i i just i don't understand what goes through certain people's heads when they make comments like this and look i get it that sports can be something that makes people really, really angry. Um, But it's just like to attack someone like that is just completely uncalled for. And I strongly stand behind Ethan Bear. And I just think it's it's something that I hate having to talk about because it's something so simple. Sports should be inclusive for everyone, full stop. Like I don't, I, I just, I don't get why it's so hard for people who feel that it's necessary to go to that length to insult people. And um, yeah, he made a mistake in a game. There's no reason to say the things that you want to say. It's just absolutely insane. I just, I hate it. Like it, it sucks because it's like you want everyone to feel inclusive. And when certain people make certain comments, it doesn't make you feel that way. It makes you feel like people are being exclusive that, you know, it's yeah, and maybe I'm maybe I'm not making a whole lot of sense, but it's just it's just really frustrating to continuously see this happen, you know, and especially when it's like oh my team loses, so I have to say something racist, you know. It's like when the Bruins and and Capitals played in 2012, Joel Ward scores the game-winning goal, and you have people, you know, saying a lot of racist stuff on Twitter you know you got the same thing that happened when PK Subban scored a overtime winning goal in 2014 you the same thing happen and it's just like i don't i don't get why it's so hard for people to not be racist like it shouldn't be that difficult um i don't care how upset you are like there's no there's no reason to ever ever say things like that absolutely not so it's just it's just frustrating that you have to continue to you know have these conversations so um i think we'll probably move on to the nba talk about the celtics and um yeah it's 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 not pretty the celtics you know i thought honestly did not play horribly in that first game Um, i thought that they you know played some good basketball in that first half you know played some good defense brooklyn missed a lot of shots and then you know, it kind of went the other way. The Celtics struggled to make shots and, you know, lose game one, 104-93, but, you know, you had some positives. Robert Williams had nine blocks in that game. And you're thinking, okay, maybe the Celtics can make this interesting. You know, that you figure that, okay, you know, you had a game where um, Kemba Walker, Fournier, you know, couldn't make anything and you're figuring, okay, you know, they just bring that same level of defense and they can, you know, do better. And that was not the case. You know, the Nets come out and, you know pretty much make all the shots that they were missing in the first half of game 1 and they just bludgeoned the Celtics uh, 130 to 108 game was never close um you know just it's just the Celtics are just out of their depth you know i think really is is what it is and you know i think that yes you all want the Celtics to do well you want them to compete you want them to win playoff games but it's you have to consider you know what's what's happened this season and what kind of team that they are and what they were was a team that was a 500 team you know started the season eight and three after that 28 and 33 they finished the season 36 and 36 you know I just think that a lot of us kind of wanted want the season just to be over um so we don't have to endure it you know I think that it, it's hard to expect that the Celtics are going to really do much of anything. You know, I know that I said Brooklyn in six, you know, I think that that's a little kind of uh, foolish at this point. Um, but I think that just for the Celtics is just to play hard um, and try to make things interesting, try to get some good, you know, into, good big minutes for certain guys who, you know, really kind of need that playoff experience. So um you know, I think that Jason Tatum obviously has struggled, you know, got poked in the eye in game two, had to leave the game. He's good to go. Uh, Kemba Walker is also good to go tonight. So, you know, I think the Celtics being back home in a playoff game, and I know that the um, the capacity, you know, is still a quarter, you know, they'll get the full capacity on Sunday, I believe. Um, but I just think it's important for them just to play, play with some intensity, you know, play well with... You know, with a team that, you know, is far and away better than you, but I think for the Celtics, just based on how difficult this season has been, it just would be great for them to play with some high energy, you know, and make one of these games close. You know, maybe win. I don't really think you should be asking for the Celtics to win a game or two in this series, but, you know, I think that just to give the fans something to be excited about that You know, the story tonight is not just about Kyrie's return, you know, that it's more about the Celtics playing hard, you know, and maybe winning a game. So, you know, I think that there have been some good things. You know, Robert Williams has gotten some good minutes. He's been really solid defensively. Um, But, you know, the Nets are just the Nets, and I think that's just what it is. And I know that some people, you know, will want to pin this series loss on Brad Stevens, that they want to pin the whole season on him. Um, You know, I'm not going to entertain that. Um so I just think that yeah you'll get mad but it's like at at like what's the point you know you're really going to get mad at Brad Stevens because the Celtics got swept by the Brooklyn Nets you know arguably the most talented team in the league you know when you have guys like Joe Harris who are knocking down literally every three in sight you know what do you do like you, there's really not a lot the Celtics can do you know I know that they try to pride themselves on bringing it defensively. And I hope that they can do that tonight. But it's just like, I, it's just, it's almost impossible to expect them to, you know, make this a series. You know, I thought maybe it was possible, but, you know, seeing these first two games, it's like the Celtics need to play, you know, unbelievable defense. Um, and then they need to shoot the lights out. And they've really not been able to do either of those things consistently. Um, in this series so I don't really expect the Celtics to make this much of a series but you know if it happens it happens tonight maybe the Celtics play some really good basketball maybe they win a game maybe they win game four you know it just would be nice to see them be able to play hard and get a win and just feel positive about something um, because they're not winning the series you know I hate to break it to some of you people that are super optimistic that think hey, all you need to do is get home, um, the, the Nets are the Nets for a reason. And, you know, they're starting to play some really good kind of focused basketball, something the Celtics really have not been able to do almost all season. Um, so Celtics down two games to nothing. Uh, game three is uh, tonight at 8.30 on ABC at the Garden. Obviously Kyrie Irving is uh, returning to the Garden with fans for the uh, first time as a Brooklyn net. So he did not play one game. So there was one game last year in Boston that I actually remember that Brooklyn played Kyrie. Obviously was not there. Celtics with the, you know, where's Kyrie chant and that sort of thing. Um, so obviously Kyrie's coming back and, you know, made some comments after game two and, you know, rightfully so I think rubbed some people the wrong way. Um, but I will just say that the things that he said in that postgame press conference was not wrong. You know, nothing that he said was was wrong. You know, I think that all he basically was saying that he just hopes that, you know, the, the jeers and the, the booing and all that is basketball related. And that's absolutely fair. You know, I think that. Obviously we know why Celtics fans are upset with him, we know why they would boo him, we know why they would chant at him. Um but I think that, you know, Kyrie's just saying that he doesn't want to hear anything racist, which you know, <laughs> I don't know why anyone would have a problem with that. You know, I think that, you know, if you listen, if you go and actually listen to the interview, which I recommend that some of you do because honestly, when I read you know, the quote from him, I thought, you know, something else. But then when I actually listened to it, you know, it seemed like he understands why people are going to be upset. You know, they are upset because he said that he would resign and he didn't. You know, and I think that that's really why people are upset with him. And I think he understands that. But I think he also is trying to say that, you know, Boston does have a history and we do. You know, I don't... (laughs) I think that there are some people that... Get defensive when an athlete says something like that because they don't want, you know, someone bad mouthing their city. But it's like you can't turn away and say that this doesn't happen because it has. You know, you've heard Marcus Marcus Smart say that he's heard things from the crowd. You know, you hear about that incident with Demarcus Cousins a few years ago, um, and so I think that it's not out of the it's not crazy that you know, Kyrie thinks that way. And honestly, like, maybe he hasn't personally, you know, experienced any racism. Maybe he has, maybe he hasn't, but that's not the point, you know? So I just think that, yes, I think that he does need to understand that, yes, he's being booed because of, you know, his basically lying to the fans, saying that he would re-sign and he didn't. Um, But I think I agree with him. I don't want to hear or see any fans being, you know, racist or saying anything like that. Like, you don't want to see that, you know? And I just think that, yes, there are some people that I think are getting a little too defensive when he said that, you know, that I think people are being like, oh, like, you can't think that you're, like, getting booed because, you know, Boston's racist. And it's like, well, he kind of does have a little bit of a point, but at the same time, I think he gets it, and I think he understands And, you know, really all he said was that it's, it's basketball related, you know, and I think that, I think that it should be fine. You know, I don't expect anything to happen, but, you know, I think Boston better be on their best behavior. You know, I'll just say that. And I will just say that, you know, now with fans back in the arena, we've had a couple instances already that have been really disturbing you know, to hear you have Russell Westbrook with popcorn thrown on him um, during Game Two, or whatever point it was during Game Two, Trey Young got spit on, and it's just like by, um, by by Knicks fans, and it's just like, like, do people not know how to handle themselves at sporting events? It's like I understand that you've been out of arenas for a year or so, but it's like, act with some semblance of humanity, like, holy cow. You know, it's just, I just, I don't get what it is with people that just have no respect for, for other people. And I don't care if the person's an athlete. I don't care if the person is an athlete for a team that it, that you're playing a playoff series against. I don't care if it's an athlete that you hate. There's no way that that is even, like, def- defendable. Like, get out of here with that. You should not be allowed to go to sporting events the rest of your life if you're doing stuff like that. And it's just... You know, and so this, you know, really is what I mean when Celtics fans and Boston fans really should be very careful because, you know, something like that happens in this game. You know, I think that it's going to look a certain way. And so I think, you know, with all these things going on, you know, keep it civil. You want to boo him. If you want to boo Kyrie every time he touches the ball, fair. You know, if you want to chant certain things at him, You know, that's fine as long as it's, you know, not anything that crosses a line. Um, If you want to make a sign or something and obviously keep that appropriate, that's fine. But it's just like, I don't understand why like fans just straight up have no respect for athletes. And it's kind of crazy. You know, Marcus has even said that he's heard things from, I don't know if it's Celtics fans, but, you know, it's not... I think that that's what I understood him to say, that he's heard things from, you know, the crowd, assuming when, you know, he plays badly, but it's just like, there's no place for that type of stuff. And I think that, you know, the players just, there's no protection really. And it's just like, you have fans who, you know, basically think that they can go to an arena and they're able to do whatever they want. And, you know, people and officials are going to hold the athlete back You know, if you do something like spitting on a player, throwing popcorn on them, and it's just like the players have no way to defend themselves, you know, and you and we know for a fact that these fans in a, you know, different in a different context would never, ever do that to an athlete because I think we know how that would go. Um, But it's just like this is getting out of hand and a lot of onus has to be on the fans and has to be on you know, arena security and that type of thing that, like, you can't allow this to happen because if this gets out of hand, you could have a Malice at the Palace type thing. And I know that no one wants to have something like that happen, but, you know, things could really get out of hand if, you know, players are not allowed to defend... Well, I don't want to say it like that because that's dangerous, but, you know, I think that there need to be more measures in place to protect um, athletes from that type of thing. And it's just... It's frustrating that, you know, we have to have conversations about people being racist on social media because a player makes a mistake, that we have to have fans that are disrespecting players just because they play for a different team. It's just like, if we have we forgotten how to act like normal human beings? It's just, it's really frustrating. So, um, looking around the other, the rest of the NBA in terms of the playoff series, um, Celtics and Nets, obviously, game three tonight. Knicks and Hawks will play game three um, in Atlanta. That's been a pretty intriguing series. Both games have been pretty good um, at Madison Square Garden. So game three is in Atlanta. Um, Really excited to see what that series has in store. Um, Then the Clippers in Dallas. Game three from Dallas. Dallas taking the first two games from the Clippers, and uh, things are pretty doom and gloom in uh, Clipperland. With the uh, Clippers losing both games at home, Luka Doncic has been absolutely incredible. You know, he's someone who is, you know, single-handedly taking control of this series. So very curious to see how the Clippers respond to game three on the road. Both games have been relatively close. So it's not really that, but the Clippers, like, are really in, are are in peril right now. Um, So they really desperately need to win tonight um, if they're going to have any hope. Of making this and making this series. Um, the three games last night, you have Milwaukee and Miami. The Bucks are just running roughshod over the Heat. They crushed the Heat last night, uh, 113 to 84, 29 points. Um, and the Heat just do not look themselves, do not look like the team that went to the finals last year. And the Bucks are playing some really good, really inspired basketball. There's some people that I didn't think they played all that well in Game 1, but they come back Game 2 and Game 3 with blowout wins and really have made no mistake. So that's a series that is now three games to none. The Bucs can sweep tomorrow afternoon, if I'm not mistaken. Um, the Lakers taking a 2-1 series lead last night, winning their game, their first playoff game, back at Staples Center um, in, in two years or one year. Wait, did they they make the playoffs two years ago? I honestly cannot remember. Wow. I feel really stupid. But uh, Lakers up two games to one. Chris Paul obviously uh, was hurt in game one, has not really been himself in this series. So Phoenix is now um, really trying to put things together. Um, And then you have Denver taking a 2-1 series lead with the win against Portland last night. Uh, Denver surprised me. They played some pretty good basketball um, in the first couple of games. Portland obviously winning game one, Denver winning... Uh, the last two games. And then you have um, the other two series, Philadelphia and Washington, Philadelphia up two games to none. Uh, Washington made it pretty interesting in game one, but the Sixers um, had a pretty emphatic win in game two. So they're up two games to none. Game three is tomorrow night. And then you got Utah and Memphis, two really good games. Obviously John Morant was has been excellent in the first two games of the series. Had 47 in game two. Jazz won Game 2, Donovan Mitchell's back in the lineups, and now you get to see Utah at full strength. But uh, the series shifts to Memphis uh, tomorrow night for Game 3, so that will be very interesting to see how John Moran and the Grizzlies respond to splitting the first two games in Utah. Utah, the number one seed coming into the playoffs, so uh, that will be interesting. So as far as the games tonight, mention that the uh, Knicks and Hawks play tonight at 7, Celtics and Nets at 830 and then the Clippers and the Mavericks at 9:30 and then the games tomorrow you have Milwaukee and Miami at 1:30 Denver and Portland at four Philadelphia Washington at seven and then Utah and Memphis at 930 and on the nightcap so I think that that probably does it for the NBA just to look around any quick updates from around the league um, just got um, some news. Into the podcast right now that uh, Dante Divincenzo uh, will miss the rest of the postseason with a foot injury, so um, not great news for the Bucs. I don't expect that it changes much in this series, but uh, for the Bucks to go up against a team like the like the Nets, uh, that's certainly a big blow because the Nets are pretty deep. So um, that's too bad. I always like watching um, Dante play basketball; just such an exciting player. Oh, has always been an exciting player you know, I think about him playing at Villanova. Um, so really, really rough, um, for the Bucks and for, uh, DiVincenzo because he's a really solid part of, of, of that team. So I think that we will move on to Major League Baseball and talk about the Red Sox. Things are getting very interesting, um, in the American League East right now. Red Sox currently in second. We'll take a look at the standings in a little bit, but, um, You know, it's interesting. You know, the Red Sox really have been shredding water a little bit, like not really been able to string too many wins together. I mean, they did just win four straight um, with two against Toronto and then two against Philly, but then they dropped the series uh, finale in Philadelphia, and then um, they dropped the first game against the Braves on Tuesday night. They did win on Wednesday night after a long rain delay, um, but I think the Red Sox really are a team that could be in need of a hot stretch, you know, again, as the American league East gets closer, you know, I, then I said this constantly, I probably said this for three weeks in a row, but the Yankees were not going to be bad for a for, for, for that long. Um, and they've made things interesting. Toronto is right there. Tampa Bay has been red hot. I think they recently won 11 straight games. So, um, The American League East is going to be very interesting um, in the next few weeks and in the next few months, Um, but the Red Sox still, you know, 30 and 20 have been a team that's been pretty solid. You know, I don't want to say treading water negatively because the Red Sox have honestly won five of their last seven. So, you know, things are pretty good. I think good series split against Atlanta. I know that their record is not great, but that's still a very talented team there. Um, Nick Pavetta gets the win on Wednesday and he's been great you know I think that the Red Sox have been getting pretty solid starting pitching but I don't think anyone expected Pavetta to be 5-0, 6-0, whatever he is um, and honestly he's been the Red Sox best pitcher you know Eduardo Rodriguez has pitched pretty solid this season but his ERA has ballooned to over five uh, based on the last couple of starts you know Evaldi is a guy who kind of Honestly, recently, you don't really know what you're going to get. You know, I think Garrett Richards hasn't been too bad recently, but, you know, you have Pavetta, who's kind of been the the breakout guy with the Red Sox starting pitching this season. So I think, you know, you, you hope that Rodriguez can kind of regain his form a little bit. Obviously, we all know that he can, you know, as a guy that I think at his best can absolutely challenge for an American League Cy Young Um but I think, you know, going back to the Red Sox and kind of being in need of a hot streak, they really are in need of some hot streaks at home. You know, the Red Sox are 13-13 are and 13 at Fenway Park. And I think if this team really wants to be a contender this season, you need to start winning the majority of your home games. You know, that's not going to cut it. Um, so I think the Red Sox really got to take advantage of their home games. they got a three-game set against the Marlins this weekend honestly not sure how many games they'll get in because there is uh, a lot of a lot of rain in the forecast this weekend so uh, that'll be interesting but I think if the Red Sox can get games in you know continue to try to win your home games uh, because I think that's going to be really important but it is I will just say on the other hand it is great that the Red Sox have played so well on the road Um, you know 17 and 7 on the road I think that's the best record in baseball on the road so you know that at least is a positive, and you hope that the Red Sox can, you know, figure it out at home and start winning games, and you know, start to get both of those records to be really, really solid. Um, so, very curious to hear in the next few weeks or months about Chris Sale. I mean, I think that he is now throwing off a mound, um, but it'll be very interesting to see, you know, when he returns and kind of what that does to the Red Sox rotation. Um, I think that that's going to be very curious to see if. You know, someone comes out of the rotation, or you know what they do in that scenario. But I really think that if Chris, you know, comes back in in, in July or so, I mean, I think that that's what what the what is going to happen at this point. Um, I wouldn't expect that he returns in June. You know, I think June obviously is almost here, um, but I would say that he probably comes back in July, and you know, honestly, could act as kind of a trade deadline acquisition that the Red Sox, you know, can bolster their starting rotation. Uh, That's assuming that, you know, Chris is at his 100% health and is the pitcher that, you know, we all expect him and know him to be. Um, But I think that continuing to get good starting pitching, you know, I think has really been what's propelled the Red Sox to this solid start, 30 and 20 through 50 games. So the Red Sox almost a third through the season um, at this point. So that will probably come on Monday. Um, So I think looking at the rest of their schedule... Um, for the month of May and then maybe early kind of into June. um, They have, obviously, the three-game set against the Marlins at Fenway this weekend, and then the Red Sox will travel um, all of next week, and then next weekend the Red Sox will visit the Yankees for their first series of the season. Uh, Between the Miami and Yankee series, the Red Sox will play four games in Houston, so the Red Sox will be on the road for seven straight um, after the Miami Series, in Houston for four games, and then New York for three, and then the Red Sox will host Houston, and then they will host Toronto into the middle of June. So that's what we're looking at for the Red Sox um, 30 and 20, you know, looking at the looking at the standings. The Red Sox are uh, currently in second place, just one game behind the Rays. The Yankees are in third. Uh, Toronto actually has fallen back a little bit. I haven't looked at the standings recently, but Toronto's won three of their last 10, so they've kind of fallen back. Um, but the Yankees, you know, two games out of first, 29 and 29-21, and 7-3 in their last 10. You know, and it's not like the Red Sox have played bad baseball, you know, but I think that looking at the the road record, 16-7, and seven, really solid home record, you know, really is not very good. You know, you look at actually all the teams in the American League East, You know, the Yankees have the best home record at 15 and 11, but, you know, no one's really separating themselves with the home games. Um, But the Red Sox, you know, still that good run differential. I think that's fourth best in the American League behind Tampa Bay, Chicago, and Houston. Um, So very interesting to see the Red Sox and how they do um, in the coming weeks. You know, Tampa Bay has gotten red hot. Um, So the Red Sox and Marlins will play a three-game series this weekend. Marlins are 24 and 26. They are three games out of first in the National League East. Um, So one last Red Sox note I wanted to touch on um, is Rafael Devers. He's been playing unbelievable, and he has kind of um, bypassed J.D. Martinez as kind of the the hot Red Sox bat in the last few weeks. Uh, Devers leads the Red Sox in home runs and RBIs think is third in the American League in home runs and leads the American League in RBIs. And then you have Bogarts, who's continuing to play some unbelievable baseball offensively and defensively, leads the American League in hitting at 339, has 10 home runs, 31 RBIs. Devers with 14 home runs, 43 RBIs. And then J.D. Martinez, you know, being super solid, 12 home runs, 37 RBIs, and a three nineteen batting average. But the Red Sox have also gotten... Some good production from a bunch of different guys. You know, Verdugo has had a pretty solid year. He's battled through some injuries, um, but he has six home runs. You have Vasquez, who has 23 RBIs. And then you have uh, Renfro, who's really started to come on recently. Batting average is not not great, but I think it's interesting because I think you should consider his batting average was well below 200 um, at certain points this season, but he's got six home runs. 21 RBIs. The Red Sox have gotten some production from Bobby Dahlbeck. as five home runs is 21 RBIs. Uh, unfortunately, Franchi Cordero got sent down yesterday. He's really had a really tough start to the season, hitting just 179 with one home run. So um, obviously a lot of people want to make that, make make it seem like it's it was Franchi Cordero for Andrew Benintendi, and a lot of people want to make that false equivalency. That the Red Sox made that trade one for one, which is not true. The Red Sox got five pieces out of the Benintendi trade. Uh, they got two players to be named later. But let's stop pretending like it was a one for one trade. I know everyone wants to do that because everyone wants to point how Heim Bloom sucks as a general manager. You know, and it's his fault that the Red Sox are uh, thirty and twenty and a game out of first place. So you know, that's just wonderful. Um, you know, can't 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 ever have nice things in this city. We can't ever have a team that's doing well without having to be like, "Oh, well, you know, you have this." You know, with the Bruins, they can't be good enough because oh, took a rest, can't win big games. You know, you can't you can't win here. And it's really frustrating because it's like the Red Sox are 30 and 20. They've been one of the best stories in baseball this season. No one expected them to be 30 and 20, and it's just like now that they are outperforming expectations, you know, it's just you have to you have to bring them down. It's just like you don't get anywhere in this city without having to bring 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 teams down. So, you know, that's just wonderful. That just really irritates me. Um, so, looking at the rest of the standings in Major League Baseball, Red Sox obviously game uh, out of first place. Tampa Bay at thirty two and twenty, they're in first place in the Central. The White Sox have a game and a half lead on Cleveland. They are the White Sox are twenty nine. And 20 at the moment. Uh, Oakland is in first place in the West, the game and a half ahead of the Astros, who the Red Sox will visit uh, early next week. The Mets have started to play a little bit better, and they are in first place still, uh, two and a half games ahead of both Philadelphia and Atlanta at 24 and 20. And then in the Central, if St. Louis. In first place by just a half game over the streaking Cubs, who have won four straight games and they've won eight out of ten. And you have the Padres, who have uh, made a decent run to first place in the West in the National League, and then the Dodgers have also won nine out of ten. So they are a game and a half, or a half game out of first. And then you have the Giants, who have fallen back a little bit, but still 30 and 20, just a game and a half back of first place. Um, So for baseball, I think that um, not really a whole lot of notes. It'll be interesting to see um, if the Red Sox can play um, the games this weekend. You know, hopefully the weather's not too bad um, at the moment, but I think that that's going to be... um, interesting to watch you know it could just be cloudy um but i think there is some rain that's going to be due later tonight and then you know obviously see the rest of the weekend but it's really too bad you know you got memorial day weekend typically is a nice weekend uh might just be a washout so that's gonna be that's gonna suck but you know it is it i think it, it is it is what it is um but i think that that probably does it for baseball i think that Moving on to the NFL, talking a little Patriots. Um, if you haven't already, you can take a look and check out my uh, latest article at GarrettHadenSportsMedia.com. I wrote a piece about Julio Jones. And in short, I think the Patriots should absolutely go for it. Um, you know, why, 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 why in the world would you say no to that? You know I know that it's it's a rumor and you know the Patriots might not necessarily end up with Julio but just in the but, but just in like a hypothetical sense why wouldn't you want to have him on your team and I understand that there's questions about his injury history you know he missed a lot of games last year um, but he's pretty durable I know that he plays through a lot of injuries you know it's actually crazy when I looked at his sport. Um, NFL reference page or football reference page the other day, I was shocked to see that he's played 14, 15, 16 games for the majority of his career. And, you know, honestly, he's played through a decent amount of injuries really last year was the first time that he ever missed, you know, significant time, missed seven games. um, Last year just had a, a hamstring that continued to be an issue, but come on, like you've seen this guy at his absolute best. You know, at his best, he is probably one of the most unstoppable players in the NFL. You know, when he's playing at his highest level, um, had one hundred and thirty catches one of one of the years uh, one of the years back when he was all pro. And I know it's I know it's an age, I know it's an injury history, but this guy is just a ridiculous physical specimen. A guy is six three, two twenty, can make any type of catch that you need him to make. And I don't care. And I know that there are some people that are like, oh, well, you know, Cam Newton's the quarterback. You know, it doesn't matter who you bring in. Why? Like, I don't care who's throwing Julio the ball. You want, like, if Jared Stidham is their starting quarterback, I would still want them to make this move. Like, can we stop trying to, you know, outsmart outsmart ourselves and be like, oh, well, you know, is Cam really going to be better? Yes, he will. He will be better this season. You know, if you didn't notice, Cam had some decent games last year. You know, had that big game against Seattle, Week 2. You know, had a game against Houston earlier in the year. We had 360 passing yards. You know, let's stop making this about, oh, you know, Cam can't throw a football. You know, like, he had some solid games. And And by the way, like, the Patriots have brought in some really good players. If you didn't notice last year, the Patriots... Barely had any NFL talent at the tight end position. And they bring in two of the better guys in the business. Now, sure, they're not, you know, a Travis Kelsey all pro tight end. But they're two guys that are definitely right up there with two of the best with two guys that are up there with the best tight ends in the league. And Cam Newton's going to be able to throw them the ball. And he's going to be able to throw them the ball with short passes and things like that. They got a guy in Kendrick Bourne that is a really solid guy after the catch. Cam Newton doesn't need to be throwing the ball 25, 30 yards every time. You know, yeah, it's—you kind of hold your breath when he does do that, but the Patriots have guys that they've brought in that, I think, play well to Cam's skill set. And I just think that also, Cam, he got COVID last year. It's legit. You know, you guys try getting COVID and trying to be an NFL quarterback— like, you try it. Like, I, I, please, please try that and tell me how it goes. Like, I don't know. It's just, yes, and Cam had some bad games. Absolutely. And I'm not going to say that I'm not a little bit apprehensive about what we're going to see from him this year. But the Patriots have better talent around him. You know, like, there's a reason why they spent all this money in free agency. You know, it would be different if the Patriots came into this season you know, signing a couple guys here and there, but you look at the guys that they've brought in, like, you're really going to sit there and tell me that you don't want Julio Jones. I cannot believe that there are some people sitting there that are like, I don't want Julio. Like, you're crazy if you're saying that. Um, I think as far as getting him here um, in kind of a a financial trade sense, whatever you want to say, probably is going to be a little tricky. You know, the Falcons believe that they can get a first-round pick for Julio, which I kind of find that hard to believe because I thought that, you know, you would for sure get a first-round pick if you traded him at the draft. Now I'm not really so sure because I think it is difficult to get first-round pick for a wide receiver, so or like a big-time wide receiver like Julio. So I think that if the Patriots make a trade, they absolutely could. You see them trade a couple picks and maybe a Nikhil Harry. I think there's also a possibility that they could look at trading Sony Michel just because, you know, he most likely is not coming back after the season. Patriots didn't pick up his option. Um, I don't think that both players, both Nikhil Harry and Sony Michel, would get traded. Um, but I think that Nikhil Harry is probably the most likely guy to get traded. Um, I think that's too bad if he does. You know, I still think that he can still be a solid, decent player for the Patriots. I know that a lot of people would disagree with me when I say that, but I still really think that there is a possibility for him to, um, you know, find find his groove this season. You know, if he doesn't, then de- yes, I'll tell you that he's a disappointment. But I just think that you have to really consider what he's gone through the last two years. Rookie season, you know, hurts himself week three of the preseason, misses the first nine ten games. Of his rookie season, you know, he comes in and, you know, it's almost impossible to make a big time impact after missing that much time, especially in your rookie season when Tom Brady's the quarterback who, towards the end of Tom's Patriots career, uh, didn't really do a great job of getting the ball to the young guys. I will just say that, you know, and people disagree with that, whatever, but, you know, it's true. It absolutely is true. Um, And then you have the second season he comes in. Obviously, you have a new quarterback who doesn't, you know, maybe didn't fully grasp the offense all the way. Um, And that's not a detriment to Cam. You know, it's just hard to pick up that offense in your first season as a quarterback. You know, if you're coming to the Patriots for the first time and it's your first season, it's hard to pick up that offense. It honestly is. You know, like, why do you think the Patriots have had so many wide receivers that haven't really grasped it? Even, like, all-time legends, like Reggie Wayne and and Ocho Cinco. Yeah, you can say whatever you want about Ocho Cinco, but one of the most talented players the league's ever seen. And he had a hard time picking up the playbook. So, you know, and so I'm getting off track a little bit, but going back to its second year for Nikhil Harry, it's a new quarterback, it's a truncated preseason and training camp. You know, you didn't get any preseason games, you know, like... I don't know, it's it's hard to expect that from a second year player who, you know, already was kind of behind the eight ball in his rookie season. So, you know, I'll wait and see what he can do this season. But I just think you have to give him a little bit of slack that it's not totally been perfect for him. You know, it'd be different if he didn't get hurt, you know, that first preseason, it would be different if, you know, you didn't have the, the, the pandemic, and it didn't cut down on practice time last year. You know, so I think that, You know, and it's not... He had some solid games last year, too. You know, it's not like he was bad the entire season. He had eight catches in that Seattle game. You know, he had a couple of big catches later in the season. Had a touchdown against the Chargers. Had three catches against the Rams for um, a couple throws where he went up and got it. You know, I think that there's still a possibility that he can be a solid player. But if the Patriots are going to trade him for Julio Jones, I have no problem with that. Absolutely no problem if they do, um, but yeah, you're you're crazy if you don't want the Patriots to be making this move. Um, obviously, OTAs have started this week. Patriots with you know a bunch of the a bunch of rookies, a bunch of guys that um, are coming in now. OTAs are voluntary, so not everyone has to be there. Um, but I thought it. It was great to see, you know, Cam Newton and Mac Jones and the quarterbacks, you know, some wide receivers. I think Aguilar was there. Um, but Mac Jones has really impressed a lot of the guys in camp, which is great. You know, you've heard praise from a couple of different guys. You know, you heard something uh, from Bourne yesterday, you know. And I think that there are some people that I think are overestimating, you know, how much the Patriots vet guys are attached to Cam. Now, I don't think that this is, like, a negative thing, but I think, like, guys, you know, on a professional football team will gravitate towards someone that they believe in, that they, you know, like. And it's not that the Patriots, you know, are going to suddenly just gravitate to Mac Jones, but I think that there are some people in Boston media, you know, that are trying to create this sense of, like, oh, the Patriots veterans all like Cam Newton – and if they tried to go to Mac Jones, players would be upset. You know, you're intent. You're like, I kind of can't believe that people would make that overestimation when you have this Patriots locker room that is probably one of the most focused in professional sports. And you really think something like that is going to create an issue? Um, but I think again, guys are going to gravitate towards a player that they believe in. They're going to give praise to guys that they believe in, and you know, Kendrick Bourne and guys saying positive things about Mac Jones doesn't mean that, oh, you know, Cam Newton's falling out of favor. It doesn't mean anything like that. Um, But I think it's good to see that, okay, here's a guy who probably is going to get the keys to the Patriots offense, you know, within the next year. And it's important to see some guys believe in him and and say positive things. So, you know, I really think that Mac is going to be really solid for the Patriots, um, you know, whether that is at some point this season, whether that's next season, you know? So I think that it's it's good to see, it's good to see Cam out there throwing. You know, I think that it's good to have the positive energy that you get from Cam. And it's no wonder that, you know, Coach Belichick will sing his praises because Cam has come here and he said all the right things. He's been motivated and okay, maybe he's not been the best quarterback, but he has not given you a reason to, you know, say like, okay, this guy, you know, doesn't care, or any of that sort of thing. You know, he's trying. And I think that the motivation has rubbed off on some guys that they believe in him because he works so hard and he really wants to work at being a solid contributor to a team in any in any fashion that he can. So um I think it's just great to see Mac Jones getting the, the praise from some guys, from some vet guys. And it's going to be a really interesting training camp. Really excited to see, you know, what happens. You know, I think in an in an ideal world, you see Cam and Mac pushing each other, you know, and that becomes a great kind of internal competition that it's not, oh, I'm trying to take your job, but it's like, hey, I can give you some pointers. You can give me some pointers and it's mutually beneficial to the team. So I think it'd be very interesting to see um, what happens with the Patriots in the in then training camp. It's going to be... going to be a very interesting summer for the patriots um so with the nfl just some other notes um he had prescott back in otas and a lot of guys are are happy that he's back and think that he looks about the same which is great to see from kind of an nfl fan standpoint that you'll be able to see him perform this season um just another note for um, the nfl adam Vinatieri announced his retirement um, it was yesterday or two days ago. Um, I don't know where he stands in terms of all-time uh, stats. I think he might be the leader in points. I don't know. I'd have to go look. You can go look if you'd like. Um, but obviously, had a tremendous career with the Patriots, tremendous career with the Colts, um, you know, instrumental in two Patriots Super Bowls, uh, Super Bowl 36 and 38, winning field goals, and, you know, might be the best clutch kicker in NFL history. You know not even in those Super Bowls, but you remember the snow Bowl against oakland um, and you know made some kicks in the snow that I don't think any other kicker could uh make those kicks um nowadays, I know that maybe that's a crazy statement, maybe that's not true, but um really just instrumental in the Patriots Super Bowl wins um the time that he was, in in the time that he was here um and yeah, you know hero a sports hero for me absolutely you know growing up in new england you know right around the time that the team started winning championships you know i was six years old when uh, uh ben Terry kicked that first winning field goal in 36 and you know kind of grew up with him and grew up with those patriot teams so i um, happy trails to adam um tremendous career you know Went to the Colts and continued to have a really solid career. Uh, So, you know, really some great praise from Coach Belichick, you know, calling him the the best of all time. And he very well might be, you know, with all those clutch kicks that he nailed in the the playoffs for the Patriots. So uh, happy retirement and hope that retirement treats him well. Um, So we will move on. We'll get to the Revolution and then the WNBA, and then we'll get out of here. Uh, So the Revolution... Continuing to play some really, really good soccer, three-one win over the Red Bulls last weekend um, at Gillette. You had Gustavo Bo the goal and an assist, and you know it just was great to see that you know him and Buxa and Carlos Heel you know linking up with each other in in the games that they can play together. Um, and it's just great to see that you have you know Bo who. Had that first goal against the, the Red Bulls. Very easily could have taken a second one. Chooses to feed it to Buxa. And Buxa's been playing really, really good. Um, and it's been fun to see. You know, he's a guy who really took a good amount of time to get accustomed to the MLS game. But he is really performing well um, with three goals. Bo obviously has uh, the pair of goals this season. Um, and then Carlos Heel just is such a pleasure to watch anytime. Like, it's just, and he doesn't need to get on the scorebook, but he just is, you can see that he just is one of the best players in the league and is just so much fun to watch. Um, and it's been tremendous that the Revolution have gotten off to a great start, um, that they're not, you know, playing from behind as they kind of did the last two seasons um, and really are playing really, really well. Um Tristason has been really solid. He's had a couple of assists in the last couple of games, a really good assist on uh, Bo's first on uh, Bose goal, um, against the Red Bulls. So the Revs win that three, one, they will play, um, they play tomorrow, tomorrow afternoon at FC Cincinnati. Cincinnati I believe is, might be at the bottom of the Eastern conference standings. Um, but the revolution anyway, 14 points leading the East two points ahead of second place. Orlando, um, and then Seattle in the Western Conference, they lead the West with 17 points. They have yet to lose a game, Revolution, with only the one loss against Nashville, but have won four times and have drawn twice. So Revolution plays Cincinnati, who is at the mm-hmm. tie for the fewest points um, in the Eastern Conference. So Revs will travel there. Hopefully they can travel well and get some points. Um, but it's been a really, really good start for the Revs, plus three in goals different goal differential, 14 points. Um, it'd be interesting to see, um, Saturday. I'm not sure if they will al- allow full capacity for the Rebs games. Obviously they don't have full capacity of Gillette like the Patriots do, but I think typically they allow like fourteen, fifteen thousand. 15,000, but I'm not sure what those numbers are going to be like. I have to go look. Um, but yeah, Rebs and Cincinnati tomorrow at three o'clock if you are interested in that, but it's been really fun to watch this team. You know, if you have any opportunity to watch this team at any time, you want to watch them on TV, Charlie Davies, Brad Feldman, great uh, broadcasting duo. If you want to go catch a game at Gillette, definitely do it, because I think this team is going to be really special um, this season. So before we let you guys go, we'll touch on the WNBA a little bit. It's been an interesting start to the season. You have a, a Connecticut team, you know, kind of the local team around here. It's gotten off to a good start. don't think they were necessarily... Expected to be, you know, that good early, but they are five and one. They're tied for the best record with the New York Liberty um, and Sabrina Yonescu, Who, you know, like I just said, watching watching the Revolution games, make any plans you can to watch those games. Make any plans you can to watch Sabrina Yonescu. She is just such an unbelievable talent. Um, I caught a little bit of the Liberty's game against, um, I think it was Chicago over the weekend, and. She's just the best player on the court and is just, it's like, it's impossible to like say, it's like you, you can't say enough about her, just how good she is, um, you know, gets everyone involved, has unbelievable court vision. She made an unbelievable pass. I um, like you sometimes see Marcus Smart making those like one-handed passes um, and yeah, she just is really, really good. It's just like, there are certain athletes when you watch them that just... You're just in awe, and you're just like you cannot say enough um, about how good they are. So she's been a lot of fun to watch in some of the games. Um, so Connecticut, obviously five and one. Uh, Seattle, the defending champs, they are at four and one. So they've gotten off to a good start um, this season. So a couple games tonight. Washington and Connecticut will play seven o'clock. A game is on Facebook. You can watch that. I'm assuming on Facebook Watch. And then you have LA against Chicago tonight at 8 o'clock on CBS Sports Network. Then uh, Minnesota will play Seattle at 10. And then you have Indiana against Las Vegas at 10.30. That game is on Twitter. So, um, you know, definitely continue to watch some of these games. Uh, some really, really solid high-level basketball. It's been a lot of fun to watch, the uh, Liberty especially. But, you know, Connecticut's also had a good start to the season. They actually lead the league in point differential um, at plus ten point two, so they've been pretty solid to start the season. Um, so I think that that probably does it for me this week for the podcast. Um, you know, follow follow on Twitter, follow on Facebook, listen on Spotify and on Apple Music. Everyone have a great Memorial Day weekend. Keeping my fingers crossed that the weather holds off so you guys can uh, spend some time with your families um, and just enjoy the holiday. And we will talk to you next week.